Okay, let's, um, we've been talking, I've been talking the last several weeks about really my very, very favorite topic, which is knowing the Father's approval. Is it on the uh, screen up there yet? Jeremy, if you'll go ahead and start. And this is, um, it says part three, but it's really part four. I didn't change that number. But I want us to do this. Why don't we stand up? I want us to read. No, sit down. Wait a minute. We'll stand up in a minute. I'm sorry. I'm not Episcopalian, but sometimes it gets on me. So let me, uh, if you go to that first slide, we did this last week, but this is too important uh, to miss. And I know um, people aren't here every week. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach the same message. I'm going to have 12 messages a year. Each one of them will last a month. It'll be the same one. So I'll be able to get to everybody. But um, let's just read that together. Jesus did not come to change the mind of God about humanity. Jesus came to change the mind of humanity about God. There's a lot of, um, really, there's a lot of confusion even about the Bible. There's a lot of confusion about what God's really like even when you read the Bible. And so I just want to remind everybody, I know Bill Johnson has said this, and it's such a wonderful concept, but it's a truth, not just a concept. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. He's the express image of the Father. What that means is, what you, if you want to know what the eternal, everlasting God is like, you find that out by seeing what Jesus is like. And Jesus is the one that died in our place to cancel out our sins because God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. And I like to tell um, in Luke 15 the, the story of the lost sheep, lost coin, lost, really two lost sons. One of them just happened to go to church. But the law, in the story of the lost coin, I like to make this point. Uh, actually, I'll make it. I have in my wallet a piece of candy fell out of my pocket. Do you want that, Lifesavers? <laughs> I have here a $100 bill. No, I'm not giving it away. I saw a couple of glistening eyes. and But let me ask you this, and very simply, without being clever, how much is that worth? Hundred dollars. I don't. You don't factor in inflation or what it was like in 1927. But it's worth a hundred dollars. Okay. I lost it. What's it worth? A hundred dollars. Oh. It once was lost, but now it's found. What's it worth? A hundred dollars. So what does that tell you? Tells you that Rama has a hundred dollar bill, he's not giving away. No, it tells you being found does not give you your value. You have a value, you have an intrinsic, God given, you're a human being, value to God. And a lot of people think Jesus came to change God's mind about humanity. Now he can love us because now we can get forgiven. Well, that's not true. Part of it's true. He always loved us. He always saw value in us. Um, 
Jesus paying the price for us simply reveals what our value is. You know, what is something, what is something worth? Who determines its value? Well, it's what someone is willing to pay. What was someone willing to pay for you? And see, Paul says we're bought with the price. We are bought with the price. One of the reasons we should see Jesus as Lord is because he bought and paid for us. Anyone in the world that does not see Jesus as Lord is living in, maybe unknowingly, rebellion against their purpose and plan. They may not know it. But he, he does not give you value by saving you. He reveals to you what that value is by the price he was willing to pay. See, that's, and see, one of, the, one of the reasons people live sinful lives, immorality, drug addiction, greed, whatever, you know, brand of off living you may choose or have, it's basically because you don't know who you are. You see, when you find out who you are, you find out how you should live, at what level you should live. Does that make sense? Sure it does. But so many people get in trouble because they just don't know who they are. They let a boyfriend or a girlfriend tell them who they are or who they are not. Or they let a job. Or they let getting fired. Or they let success tell them who they are. How many successful people do we know that ultimately tanked because they tried to get their identity out of their success instead of out of who they are to God. See, all of those are traps. And so there's nothing more essential anyone in this room or anyone in the world could know more than God's heart for you personally. So Jesus did not come to change God's mind. He came to change, change ours. And ours needs some changing because God's gotten a lot of bad press. He has. He has. And he has sent me to straighten all that out. <laughs> Thank you. I'm pulling for myself too, trust me. I'm in my own corner. <laughs> okay, here's another quote. Let's read this together. Most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. In fact, God loves you so that you can change. It's the inherent experience of love that becomes the engine of change. That's really good news. I'm just preaching the gospel in a different way this morning. Um, I thought about this, Romans 2.4. The first part of this verse makes me nervous, but the second part really makes me feel good. Let's read it together. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Let's read that last part. It's the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Now, repentance, you know, obviously it means quit doing bad stuff. But we don't quit doing bad stuff until we can change our minds about very essential things. And see, when you are under um, a threat of punishment 
as the mode or, or uh, as the engine, as he mentioned earlier, an engine, if the threat of punishment is the engine motivating you to be a good person, it won't work, it won't last. Actually, ultimately, the very opposite happens. Paul says in the book of Romans that um, submitting yourself to the law actually creates in you a heightened awareness of sinfulness not and does not release the capacity to not sin. That is so good. Come on. I'm excited about what I said. It's the goodness of God. He's long-suffering. I was thinking this morning, it took him like 3,000 years to show uh, that he was disappointed in, in Judaism. He waited a long time. He's very patient. He's patient with you. He's patient with you. His basic opinion of you is not one of anger because it's his goodness the goodness of God what's that next word leads he wants to lead you into something through a revelation of his nature instead of driving you into something out of a threat or fear although there is a fearful understanding to ultimately not giving your life to the Lord I mean you cannot get away from that in the scripture but it's it says some are saved by fear, actually says in one of the epistles. But Paul would say in his um, theological address or in his theological construct of Christianity that it's God's goodness that leads you to repentance. It's amazing. You remember the story where Paul was knocked off his horse in Acts chapter something. And... Um, Jesus, Jesus blinds him, knocks him off his horse, and then Jesus says to Paul, who could be classified at that point as a serial killer, Jesus says, isn't it hard for you to live this way? He says, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads, which the goads were um, prongs on a rod behind um, an oxen or, or, or a pair of oxen, and if they backed up, their feet would hit those sharp pointed goads so they'd keep going forward. So when Jesus said, isn't hard for you to kick against the goads, he was saying, isn't it hard to live the way you're living? And I'm thinking, Lord, he's a serial killer. And you're worried about how this affects his life. And the Lord says, yes. So he takes, not really a serial killer, that's an overstatement, but he had people put to death for their faith. Paul calls himself the least of all the apostles because I persecuted the church of God. But you see the heart of Jesus. There was simply no rebuke in the voice of Jesus after all that Paul had done. It was this heart of compassion that absolutely transformed the most serious enemy of the gospel. And Paul said the reason he got saved was to demonstrate the forbearance and kindness of God. Now you can trespass on that. You can, you can say, well, God will forgive me, and that's right. He will forgive you. And you can do stuff on purpose, and God will forgive you. And that's right. But there's a place where you'll get in more trouble than you figure out how to get out of. And you can't blame God if you've been going your own way. Am I balancing that okay there? So I don't want to overstate this, but goodness defined in goodness of God is not merely goodness as a quality rather it's goodness in action 
It's goodness expressing itself in deeds, in grace and in tenderness. And then John 14, 8, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Another way to look at that, I believe Philip was saying this in John, show us the Father and we'll be possessed of unfailing strength. I don't know, I was thinking just now about Luke 24 where they're disappointed disciples going to Emmaus after Jesus has been crucified, after he's been resurrected, but nobody believed much in the resurrection. So Jesus appears to them in a form they don't recognize, and then he preaches himself to, to Cleopas and these other gentlemen. He preaches himself through every single book of the Old Testament as they're walking. And at a given point, their hearts burned. And what that's talking about is their spirit was beginning to recognize Jesus when their minds were still too clouded and fogged from that unbelief and trauma they'd just gone through. But later they said their hearts burned. In other words, there was a part of their being that they were a little bit disconnected from that was touching Jesus, and they didn't recognize him yet. But eventually they asked him to stay, and they eat and, and they have some form of a communion and suddenly their eyes are open. They recognize Jesus and Jesus disappears. Well, they immediately get up and go back seven miles in the dark to Jerusalem once they see Jesus. Here's the point. When you see God like he really is, you get stronger. When you see what he thinks about you, you don't get disappointed. You get stronger. When you discover the heart he has for you, it releases in you strength. It releases in you courage. Matter of fact, there's no way to fail. There's no way to fail if you refuse to become discouraged. You can't fail. I don't care where you are. You can't fail if you don't get discouraged. And when you see him... Your courage increases when you see Him accurately. That's how you know if you're seeing the Lord accurately or not. You can tell by the way it affects your being. That's really good, Robin. Okay. Now, a couple of characteristics of not knowing the Father's approval or not knowing enough. A sinful lifestyle. If any of, any of these you're guilty of, just stand up and shout. No, not really. It'd be real loud in here before it was over, I'm sure. But you'd have to wait for an appropriate one to yell to so people really don't know what's going on with you. I get, you know, oh yeah, frustration. Ah, that's me! <laughs> okay, sure, I'm, yeah. Sinful lifestyle. See, nothing. One snicker, nothing. Don't yell, I'm playing. Striving, insecurity, Name dropping. You ever known people that aren't famous enough so that you tell them, they tell you all the famous people they know? They don't know who they are. They're trying to tell you. Lack of focus. Frustration. <laughs> Self-promotion. Unbelief. Addictions. What's next? Religious spirit. Those are people that hide in religion. You ever met really nasty people that go to church a lot? That would be that crowd. And they're angry. And they're on Facebook. <laughs> the next one. Indigestion. 
the one I should have put up for real spiritual constipation that ought to be up there for real but I won't go no my wife's mad already I'm sorry baby oh she's not here good oh she is oh. <laughs> I have a friend here I'm trying to impress so that's why I said that so okay what happens when you know God's heart you have courage to change society you have an impregnable confidence you're free from human affirmation all of this is what happens as you get to know the Lord you have a capacity to help the weak I like this next one the ability to never fail I'm gonna talk about that a little bit here in a minute <laughs> unbelievable authority unqualified security is that me or is that somebody else that should be embarrassed that's somebody else <laughs> isn't this a great time to be alive where everybody has noises going off in their pockets and don't read bibles they read telephones and where were we supernatural ministry intimate relationship with God remarkable boldness total dependence on God wouldn't you depend on somebody that knew who was dependable that's who the Lord is okay now I've been trying to get here for the last two weeks I started preaching on this with one of the verses and it shows up three times in the New Testament I think Matthew 319 or 317 right through there but it's when Jesus when the Father says audibly the audible voice of God comes and he says this is my beloved son what's the rest of it in whom I am well pleased let's say that together this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased See, that's the same thing he says about you. Even when you're displeasing, his viewpoint of you is, this is my beloved son or daughter in who I'm well pleased so that you can grow up into. God will honor us into our potential, not relate to us based on our behavior. You want me to say that again? Yet God honors us. He relates to us based on our potential, not based on our behavior. I mean, if everybody's a sinner, he doesn't have much to work with. So he realizes he needs to release potential. He, he, I believe this, and this could be debatable, but I think I, I'm right. I believe that when you're born, there is, I've said this before, there's like divine, in your DNA, you have these, you have gifts from God that the Holy Spirit is good at um, empowering and releasing at the right moment. So those, those gifts are like, I think it's Dristan. You remember Dristan had those time release particles you could take, one pill last all day. And the reason is there was red medicine and yellow medicine and white medicine and each one would dissolve 
at a different space in time. So it released its goodness over time. Well, I believe you have gifts and callings in you that you may not even be aware of because some of them are time release gifts. They won't kick into gear until the time. They're, the Kairos time, they're, um, there, there are several kinds of time, but one of them is called Kairos time, and that means like a set time or a specific time. Like Jesus was born in a Kairos moment, a specific, significant moment. And I think all of us have moments like that. And the, 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 the problem is, if we don't have faith, if we don't know the Lord, we give up before our time comes. We don't, we give up before our time comes because we think we're what we've been doing when God thinks we're who He's put in us. Come on. And so if we haven't been doing something yet, we don't think we can. But what you've been doing in some ways has nothing to do with what you can do is who He is, what He has put inside of you. He can blow you. Listen, you can go from a mumbler to an orator in a moment in time. Gosh. I remember in college, I was so messed up in college, I couldn't speak, couldn't talk. I don't mean I didn't talk, I couldn't. I remember thinking, I wish I could say something. You can be that messed up. You, you can have your gift so attacked, but the enemy is trying, listen, wherever you get hit the hardest, you know there's treasure in that place. There is a gift in there. You do not get criticized and shut down in, in this Christian dimension because you're incapable of things. It's because you have the goods and you don't know it yet. And your adversary doesn't want you to find out who you are. That's right. He doesn't want you to know. But I'm here to tell you, we have a good God. I'm here to tell you, He has put gifts inside of you, and He's so good, He will even give you gifts you don't have inside of you if you want them bad enough. Paul says that very clearly. Earnestly desire the best gifts. Well, if, if you only get what you came with, why would he say that? And the whole church teaches against the right kind of ambition. You can go for anything you want as long as it's clothed in the desire to be helpful. If you're just going for yourself, you're probably going to mess up. You just want to be great because you want to be great. You want people to talk about you being great. You're going to mess up. How in the world is Cam Newton going to make it 26 years old and people putting tattoos of him on their arms and stuff? How's he going to make He's not skilled enough yet. Nobody is. People getting mad at all these athletes for falling off the wagon. What else were they going to do? 26 years old and $100 million. What else were you going to do? What were you going to do? Man, the difference in me being here and me not being here is I didn't get $20 million. It's the only reason. So when, when Jesus, the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased that is the New Testament equivalent of Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. 
I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. And so what you find in Isaiah 42, um, not all of it, but in parts of it, you find what a person, how a person, and why a person succeeds in life who knows he's loved. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're going to go through this. But what you're reading, if you've never understood this before, the characteristics of Jesus that we find in here speak to how you function, how you behave, how you relate to life when you know God cares about you. When you know He doesn't care that way about you because you're a successful person, but because He's a good God. You don't earn anything from Him. He gives it. So, behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the equivalent in the Old Testament. What does he do to a person like that? I put my spirit upon him. How do you react when you know the Father loves you and he gives you spiritual power? You bring forth justice to people groups that aren't like you. That's really good. Verse 2. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Well, we know Jesus cried out in the streets. I could show it to you in the New Testament in John chapter, I think it's 6, where he stands up and shrieks like a raven. If any man is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. Out of his innermost being, I'll give him rivers of living water. He actually does the opposite of this. So what does this mean? He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He won't do any of those things in order to gain people's attention or their approval because he already has it. I saw this, uh, Chris Farley. You know, Chris Farley self-destructed for one reason. He didn't think his dad loved him. It's that simple. So he was um, weighed 400 pounds and told jokes. That was his way of dealing with not feeling loved. It's a picture. I saw this just, just recently. He was tremendous talent, but he was self-destructive. He had to get people's attention because he thought that was what love was going to do. Their approval. But see, he didn't need approval. He thought he needed approval. And this is the tricky part. The reason you don't need approval is because you already have it. You just don't know you have it. And so the enemy's telling you you don't have it. So you'll seek to get it. And as you seek to get it, the act of trying to get it actually destroys it. When you already have it. You, you, I'm not going to get too theological, but you see that in the Garden of Eden. The, the devil promises Adam and Eve something they already have by doing something God told them not to do. So when they do it, they lose everything God had given them. You already have everything you need, but you got to discover it. You need to experience it for it to really kick into gear. Uh, you can have a great bank account you don't know about. Does you no good? That would be the point. You could have an inheritance you're not aware of. Does you no good? But the things we're looking for, we have. We just don't know we have them. So we're looking. I know when Don and I got married, 
We have been married be 40 years in the September. I got that right. There you go. There was a point in our marriage where we had this uncomfortable thing going on, and I couldn't figure it out. She couldn't figure it out. And we finally did figure it out. I said to her, Donna, I don't know what you're looking for me in, in me, but I don't have it. Whatever that thing is, I don't have. You've got to get that. Whatever that is, you've got to get that from the Lord. And I do too. See, that's what a great marriage really is. It's not when two people completely give themselves to each other, because that means one of them's completely left out. It's when you know what the Lord thinks about you, and she or he know what the Lord thinks about them, and you're living together in a committed relationship, and you you quit getting mad at each other for not giving you what you don't have. Come on, that's really important. Okay, number three. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice to truth. I'm going to share more about this over the weeks because there's one I want to get to before we get out of here. But what that means is Jesus or and anyone who is convinced of the Father's heart doesn't need to be intimidated, threatened, or uncomfortable around human weakness. You know, there are a lot of guys that are intimidated by people that aren't strong. They don't want you around if you're not strong. Jesus wasn't that way. If your flax was smoking, he wouldn't put you out. He would blow on you till you burned. You see, that's what that's talking about. A bruised reed he will not break. He won't find you weak and push you over the edge. That's what insecure leaders do. They're intimidated by weak people. The only problem is the only kind they've got. And some of the worst kind of weakness is these people that are convinced they're not weak. They're going to cause more trouble. Moving right along. <laughs> he will bring forth justice for truth. I like verse 4. This is what I really want to get to here. I have additional notes. Turn to somebody and say something really nice to them. Okay. That's nice enough. <laughs> no. In verse 4, it says... Let me ask this question. How many of you would like to believe there's a way to live and never fail? I believe there is. I'm discovering it. Isaiah 42, 4 says, He will not, what? Let's read Isaiah 4. Let's read verse 4 together. He will not fail nor be discouraged. Till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastland shall wait for his law. He will not fail. I uh, wrote this morning, I think I put on Twitter, you can't ultimately fail if you refuse to be discouraged. You know, part of what we talk about here a lot is hope, and the kind of biblical hope, not I hope so, but um, confident expectation of good in every area of our lives. That's what biblical hope is. 
But when you ask people, can you quote me a verse on hope? A lot of them, the only one they know is hope deferred makes the heart sick, as though that were a promise. <laughs> I mean, really, you'd be, that's what, they won't say, oh, well, Christ in me is the hope of glory, or oh, I'm loved by the God of all hope, or I'm like Abraham, I'm hopelessly hopeful. And when I, you know, he couldn't bear kids, his wife couldn't bear kids, and he had a child. That's how much hope he had, hoped against hope. That's what it is to be a believer, is to have an unquenchable hope. You have to have an unquenchable hope if Jesus is your hope. Death couldn't kill him. I mean, permanently, he died, but you know what I'm saying? If you have that person living in you as a believer, you have access to a hope that will never disappoint. Even when disappointment comes. I heard this story. A mule fell in a well. And they didn't care enough about the mule to get the mule out of the well. And the mule couldn't get himself out of the well. But they didn't want him to die and stink and mess up the area. So they, every, they went over there and started shoveling dirt in. And every time they threw in a shovel full of dirt, he'd shake it off his back and stand on top of it. And pretty soon he just walked right out of the well. Because he learned how to go north on a southbound wind. He knew how to use discouragement as the fuel for success. Sir Winston Churchill said, Success consists of going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Yeah, Winston Churchill was not perfect for every generation. He was not even perfect for a significant part of his own generation, but he was perfect for World War II. He kicked butts and took names. He would pull that big cigar out and walk down the streets of London in the middle of those air raids puffing away, saying, there is no way these guys are going to beat us. That was Churchill. We need a Churchill. Trouble is, I don't know if anybody recognizes him because they're looking for a prayer meeting. Never mind. Um, when you <laughs> when you know God the way you can know Him, He can release to you both a confidence and a humility, where you will never fail. And what is failure? What is it really? Who, who, who gets to decide if you failed or not? And I believe, I believe in being, I, I believe one of the keys to successfully navigating failure is being honest about the things you did wrong or you shouldn't have done. But see, ultimate failure, ultimate failure is refusing to take personal responsibility for your own life and getting back up shaking the dirt off and stepping out of that well. Ultimate failures you gave up. But see, you can know the Lord in a way that He won't let you give up. I can remember, I've had some very difficult times over the years. I can remember when John Mark and Christopher and Andy and Katie were young, I was so discouraged. And I was having a walking nervous breakdown, i.e. regular panic attacks. 
And my, my, I don't even, if you've never had a panic attack, God bless you. I'm so happy. But if you've ever had one, it, they're hard to describe. It's like you're falling and you can't stop. It's like your mind is leaving, but you're going with it. I can remember being so panic-stricken driving from Columbia back to Charlotte. I didn't have a cell phone. I thought, I'm going to pull off the highway, call my wife, and get her to come pick me up. I was at that level. And in my case, it was through disappointment, not knowing who I was. See, I'm preaching this because of the stuff I've learned. No, I wasn't born understanding some of this stuff. Some of this is very painful and very precious to me. I'm, t I'm telling you, 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 you know, I've earned some stripes here. But one of the, in, in one of the worst moments, the Lord said to me in my heart, he said, Robin, what are you afraid of? And I said, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my mind. And the Lord said, ah, that's okay, I won't let you. I won't let you. I went, what? That right there gave me hope. See, I, I, I can't even lose my mind. <laughs> we have no idea how this thing really works. Jesus couldn't fail because of the life he got from his father. He lived in the conscious sense of his father's delight. You know, that's what I pray. I pray that you don't have to know the love of God by faith. I pray that you know it by experience. I pray you know it by encounter. I pray he knocks you, whatever it takes, down, up, over, drunk in the spirit, laughing hysterically, weeping uncontrollably. To me, the more emotional, the deeper it gets. But that's my prayer, is that you encounter the real God. Not religion, not church. And if you don't find him here, go where you find him. I'm serious. But you need to encounter him. You need to know that goodness that's functional. The God who has a functional goodness towards you. But he lived in the conscious sense of his father's delight. Discouragement never gained ascendancy over Jesus' life until he bore it on our behalf on the cross. And he said... For the only time in his life, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think it was simply because he was bearing us in his place on the cross. Jesus was very secure. There's another verse. Let me see where it is. We're just touching the surface Verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Either one of you, both of you, all three. This is how Jesus got through life. Holding hands. Holding hands. Other cultures, men hold hands and it's not considered strange. Jesus held hands with his dad. I'll hold your hand. I'll 
keep you and give you as a covenant. We'll get into all that later. Thank you. You did awesome. You're really good. Let me invite, um, we're going to shift gears now. You know we're in the third week of our fundraiser. And I want, um, I want John Mark to come up here and extract resource. I mean, share his heart with you. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Um, you know, um, uh, I have a friend who owns a vineyard, and I heard him talking one time about how, um, you know, how much he's learned, you know, with his vineyard and all the things you have to do. You know, I don't know if you know this, but to grow grapes well, you have to have a thing called a trellis. Anyone know what a trellis is? Basically, a trellis is, is little more than something that keeps the vines off the ground. Because the vines will grow fruit on the ground, but if the fruit grows on the ground, uh, a lot of times it'll rot. And more often than not, the insects can get at it. And so, you know, it seems like such a simple thing, just a little a structure that keeps the, um, the vines off the ground. It seems like such a simple thing, you know, and a building seems like such a simple thing such a simple thing and it is a simple thing you know but there's something about the structure that allows us um to become a a good place to grow um i you guys know the parable of the sower you guys ever heard the parable of sowers jesus tells the parable where he goes around and uh sowing the seeds and seeds fall in these different places and depending on where the seeds fall in some places they don't grow up very well some places they die some places they're choked out some places the roots can't go down some places the birds come and take them away and some places they land and they grow roots and they grow and they become fruitful uh my friend johnny says that um uh your only responsibility in life is to be good dirt your only responsibility in life is to be good dirt, is to become a good place to grow. You know, and, um, you know, and, and so, I mean, we could make this complicated, but the truth is it's not complicated. It's the Lord is really blessing us, and we've been a good place to grow. And in order to continue to grow, we need to move on to a new place. It's as simple as that. As you know, it's not a very spiritual thing. It's just a very practical thing. But I have another friend who says that practical is spiritual and spiritual is practical. So we, um, I, I really believe this. I believe that, um, the Lord is going to give us a new building. He's going to give us the resources we need to get in to that place. Um, you know, and I don't believe that it's up to us. I could stand up here and say, it's up to you. You have to do it. We have to do this. But I actually don't believe that. I believe this. I believe that God has a plan for this city and he has a plan for this church. And he has a plan for this people and he's going to see that plan through. I believe he's going to see that plan through. But the beautiful thing is he doesn't need you to make this thing happen but because he loves you and he loves me he's allowing us to give and be a part of that and that's really the prayer for my life is that the lord would use me you know and i i mean i could i could get theological and we could talk about this for a long time but i don't know that the lord needs us to do things 
I mean, maybe he does, but I think most of the time he doesn't need us to do the things he wants to do. He just loves us so much. When I was young, I used to be afraid that the Lord was going to send me into the mission field. I was going to die, you know? <laughs> you know? And then I read the Bible, and those people, they, that was their passion. It was a pleasure for them. Not that it felt good, you know? But it was an honor for them to die for the gospel. And God didn't have to use them. They didn't have to die for the gospel. It was an honor, you know? You don't have to do the things you do for the Lord to move I think he needs to use somebody. If he doesn't use you, he's going to use somebody else. But the beauty is, he offers us the opportunity to be the people that he uses. And that's my, that's my, that's the dream of my whole life. Uh, as I get to do, all I have to say is, Lord, let it be. Let me be a part of it. You know, cause there's just not a whole lot else in life that is that exciting than partnering with the Lord than being a part of what he's doing. So that's my speech. And I have a little offering I want to give. But before we give this offering, we have a video we want to show. Is the video ready? We're obviously not the big production church. <laughs> oh. Queen City Church started with a family, a father, his sons, and their friends with a vision for a creative community empowered by the love of God. The vision was simple, bless God and be a blessing to the city of Charlotte. The Lord had put in my heart to start Queen City Church to provide a place for disillusioned, disenfranchised young men and women, creative types, artists, musicians, a lot like my own children. I wanted them to experience the reality of the love of God in a way that would empower them to become the kind of people God had called them to be. Our church has become so much more than that now that it was really a place for the whole family. We rented a music venue downtown Charlotte, the historic Visualite Theater, and began meeting on Father's Day 2010 with a few small families, friends, and one child. I grew up in church and I got disillusioned and, and for a long time I didn't go to church and my sister actually, I would come yeah. to QCC with her and Josh Baldwin would lead worship and I would just like cry. I felt so loved by God and like God was so proud of me. <laughs> I just That was like a new feeling, like I'd never felt that feeling before and so it kept me wanting to come back. When we started Queen City Church, my vision was to help cultivate a place for a community of people who love the Lord and want to live life together and, um, through the good, the bad, and the ugly and to um, see our families grow and thrive, you know, and be there for one another. Now we've grown to like 250 people, 130 families, 40 or 50 kids, and it's just time for a home of our own. We have quickly outgrown the Visualite Theater and are approaching the end of our lease on the building that houses our kids' ministry and offices. We have an incredible opportunity to renovate a warehouse space near the heart of the city that can house Queen City Church, along with our children's ministry and offices all under one roof. This is a place to grow. Many of you have encouraged us in this journey and we are very grateful. We currently need to raise money for the renovation of the new facility. 
If you would like to donate to this building fund, go to GoFundMe.com slash QCC Home to donate today. Help us bless God and be a blessing to our city. Thank you very much. Sweet. Awesome, man. And it just keeps getting better. Yeah. It does. So I don't know, what do you guys think? <laughs> uh, you know, I think um, you, you can have fruit in your life outside of a church structure. But I think if you want lasting fruit and you want healthy fruit and fruit that's going to continue, just like the trellis that lifts the vine off the ground, you got to be a part of some sort of structure. And that's, that's in one sense, that's all we are as a church. We are a place to grow. And that's a very important thing, and that's worth putting my money and giving my life to. You know? So listen, the ushers have envelopes, building fund envelopes. They're going to pass around. And I want you to think about making a promise or a donation and, 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 and being part of this thing. Also, we're going to put this up on the Internet. We don't do a lot of social networking stuff because we like to encourage um, sort of an analog relationship. <laughs> you know <laughs> analog relationship you know and so we don't do a lot of social networking but we believe so much in this push to get into the new building we're going to do an online campaign and if you would don't be embarrassed and please share this with all of your digital friends as well as your actual ones it's digital money is just as good as real money even though your digital friends may not be as good as real friends but <laughs> so please do share it we're going to pass raise your hand if you need an envelope ushers are going to pass and I have my little check I'm going to have my wife put that in the envelope for me so there you have it ladies and gentlemen you have anything else you want to say yes you can if you take those envelopes you pray over them and um, if you do want to do something today why don't we just put a couple of those buckets in the back so you can take time and while you're here or take them home and and pray so we're not a high pressure outfit but if you don't give we got no place to go <laughs> no <laughs> that's not true let's pray lord jesus there's no one like you and there's no one like the people you have created lord we ask for your blessing to be on everyone in here all the families all the people Lord, cause your face, that experiential presence, that's what that meant, Lord. I know that's what that meant. Your experiential presence to be our portion. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, folks, have a great week.